Welcome to episode nine of the Inside Hater podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the offensive numbers that are down across the league, and it's not just the Yankees. And we're also going to discuss the new article from Ken Rosenthal about how pitchers are throwing harder with less command than ever before. And then we're going to go over the legacy of Albert Pujols. We're also going to discuss um, Todd Frazier, who also got this name for assignment. And we're going to go to a weekend recap. That We're going to cover that crazy game between the Braves and the Phillies. And then from there on, we're going to give some tips for baseball etiquette-wise when you're attending a game. It, and it's all coming up next on Episode 9 of the Inside Here to Podcast. So this season so far, we've seen a lot of dominant pitching. I mean, we've seen four no-hitters. And honestly, we've seen five. I'm going to count Madison Baumgartner's no-hitter against the Braves. You know, that's seven innings. If you can get a complete game shutout in a six-inning um, game because of rain, post, like pretty much completed that game, then you should get a no-hitter in seven innings. So Madison Baumgartner, you got a no-hitter in my book. I don't care what MLB says. Do you think Madison Bumgarner's no hitter should count? Oh yeah, man. I don't like, think we like, covered that part. Well, because like here's the thing: he can't control when, like, what games he's pitching for, and just because that on his start day happens to be a seven inning doubleheader that he's scheduled to pitch, I, I don't think we can sit here and fault him for going out there and just carving up that lineup for seven innings and not allowing a single knock. I mean, you can't you can't control that. So I think, yeah, it should be recognized as a no hitter. I maybe put like an uh, asterisk next to it that you know shows that it was seven innings, but I would still consider it a no-hitter. We all know MLB is not about putting asterisks at Astros at steroid users in MLB. Right. Anyway. Jeez. Anyway, so across the league, we've seen a lot of dominant pitching, like I was saying. The offensive numbers are way down compared to previous seasons. And after Sunday's games, this is an article according to Lindsay Adler, who's also covers the Yankees. You know, across the league, non-pitchers are hitting 236 an average that's the entire league and yes according to this article this is pretty much common sense for anybody that knows baseball and is out of baseball april and may they tend to be the harder months of offensive numbers just because of the fact that hitters are still trying to get used to seeing pitchers seeing those different pitches and then the weather also impacts the flat of the ball and everything but this april and may has been slower than any other since 2010 until the present. Honestly, it's not shocking at all because there have been a lot of hard-hit balls that I've seen You know, between watching the Yankees games, watching the Mets games, going to the Braves and the Phillies game this past Sunday, this past Saturday, and there have been a lot of balls that just don't carry like they did last year. And it's just been absolutely ridiculous. As Yankee fans, we've seen how hard it is for us to score runs. And the only thing that's been keeping us in is pitching. That's the only reason we've been winning games. Which is completely opposite to what most people would think, you know, right? I'm, oh, I'm sure you agree. <laughs> absolutely, man. We were supposed to know, like, going into the season, people were saying, okay, well, the offense is going to score enough runs. Is it the pitch that's going to be able to back it up? And it's kind of interesting. You see how, like, I think we sort of get a little bit of a skewed perspective being that, you know, I don't know about you, but I watch the majority of my baseball being Yankee games. And so when I see the offense, like, slumping, it's like, man, we've got to be the only team going through this. But now that you really, you can, you know, could take a little sample of the entire league and see, wow, you know, a lot of guys aren't hitting the ball well and a lot of teams are struggling to put, you know, offense together. And it's interesting, I guess, that when MLB proposed this new baseball and like, okay, you know, home runs are hopefully, hopefully going to go down a little bit. You know, there's also this added element of now the balls are breaking a little bit differently because the weight distribution is a little bit different than it was before. So, Guys are essentially like a two seam fastball last year looks very different to a two seam fastball this year. It's just breaking differently. And, uh, you know, I think we touched on them before we started recording about how fastballs are rising more. And it's just, you know, these guys are having to not only to adjust to a different baseball when they make contact, but when they're attempting to make contact, that ball is slicing and dicing in a whole different ways than it was before. Yeah, honestly, looking back at the games that we've been watching, I mean, Jonathan Loisaga has some, like, the movement on his two-seam fastball has been absolutely ridiculous this year compared to last year. And Aroldis Chapman, 
His splitter is so nasty. And then you also have Devin Williams, who has this very nasty changeup that's going against all odds. And Pitching Ninja, the Twitter account that always posts a lot of stuff about different type of breaking pitches, the nastier ones, and pitch sequences, sort whatever, all sorts of stuff he posts. He calls it the airbender because it just goes against all odds. And you just have to wonder, how are people going to hit that? And now, with this article coming out from Lindsay Adler, we're pretty much getting insight as to why we're seeing all these strikeouts, all of these balls that are not getting hit hard at all and just dying at the wall. Everything's up to the pitcher's advantage right now. You know, oh, yeah. People, it's just, yeah. And then Aaron Judge even dis- dis- discussed it as well. And he thinks that the ball, he just thinks the pitches are moving all over the place to the point where it's just kind of hard to find that adjustment of, okay, when do I start swinging the bat? Like, how do I square this up? And so in 2019, fly balls between hit between 100 and 104 miles per hour at a 20 to 24 degree launch angle went for outs just 18% of the time. In 2021, they would reach base 82% of the time when they would connect. In 2021, hitters are reaching base just 65% of the time of when they hit a fly ball between 100 and 104 miles per hour at a 20 to 24 degree launch angle. 82% down to 65%, that's a ridiculous drop right there. And that's across the whole league. So it's not just, this isn't just an isolated incident amongst one team. I mean, this is a league-wide statistic that is showing that hitters are struggling to hit the ball this year. And I'm glad to hear a guy like Judge is kind of speaking up about it because, you know, I, I, I don't remember what series it was, but he went down like five straight punch outs. And then I think he followed it up with two more bats the following day, punch out. So it's like six, seven at bats in a row where you're striking out. And obviously Aaron Judge is going to strike out more than most players, but I don't see how a guy like Aaron Judge being the type of guy that's going to strike out seven at-bats in a row unless something different is going on. You know what I mean? I want to, I'm going to give Aaron Judge the benefit of the doubt that in, in 10 at-bats, he is not striking out seven of those times. Yeah, man. And luckily for Judge, you're not calling that ankle strike that much anymore this year, as we've seen previous year. But he just needs to find a way to adjust to the new movements on the pitches. And who knows, you know, if the balls, if the pitch is getting nastier, and we'll see if MLB is actually instituting checking the foreign substances, because if they're not really doing much with the foreign substance stuff, these pitches are just going to get nastier and nastier. Well, and where does this stop? Because like in 20, was it 2019 or 2018? They kind of just, they didn't say there was anything different with the ball, but there clearly was something different with the ball. So now this year they're finally announced it, but what stops MLB from next year from just you know, reintroducing a new baseball and the year after that. Every year they can just change the baseball to kind of cur- curve the numbers down of what stats are being exploited. So, you know, how do as a hitter, how do you adjust to an ever-changing baseball? Yeah, and then as a pitcher, too, the sizes of the balls, too, like, you know, where the seams are going to be on the, on the balls, you know, your pitches year to year, you're not going to know exactly how your pitch is going to move. You know, uh, with Tanaka, last year he struggled a lot trying to figure out, okay, how are my pitches going to move in this location? How am I going to pitch this hitter? Because I believe last year the ball was, was it, yeah, it was heavier and stronger. Like, not heavier and stronger, but heavier and, and larger. And in, Japanese, in Japan baseball, the balls are very, very, very light and airy. So he, he already had adjusted to the original baseballs that MLB was implementing back in 2013 when he originally signed with the Yankees, back in 2014 when he signed with the Yankees. You know, last year when they changed the ball up, or two years ago, he had to readjust his mechanics and trying to figure out, okay, how do I hold the baseball? How do I keep using my splitter? How do I keep using my slider? And we saw him struggle a lot. And luckily he found his way and everything. But yeah, we just see, like, how can you have the same exact results year in and year out when the ball is just constantly changing? You know, you're going to have your outliers, Jacob DeGrom, uh, Garrett Cole, and Trout. You know, those guys are on a whole nother planet where so they can probably adjust really easily to anything but then like your other guys like we talked about judge talk about gary well we didn't talk about gary sanchez but we see with gary sanchez he's struggling hitting pitches that are moving a lot and just across the league with the offensive numbers coming down it's just kind of tough oh yeah man and i'm interested to see like where this goes if like if eventually players what's going to be the perfect balance for the baseball you know what i mean like what stat is going to have to be a reach a certain point where it's like okay this is the baseball we're going to use 
and continues to use from here on out. And we're done, we're done toying around with it. Like, why is it now all of a sudden we have to start toying around with it? Like, I understand they're, they're trying to get away from this whole three true outcome narrative that's kind of been talked about a lot. But I don't know. I mean, like, it's when the entire league as a whole is what hitting 230? Is that what you said? 234? Six. 236. Okay. So, I mean, if the entire league is hitting 236, what benefit is that baseball bringing to, to the game? Yeah, exactly. And. Let's face it, offense brought back a lot of fans back in the 90s, late 90s, offense and steroids, obviously. That brought back a lot of fans. And now with all these pitches moving and like a lot of these pitching duels, I love a good pitcher's duel. Like I loved this past Saturday's game when I went there. It was a pitcher's duel until like that mess of the extra innings. But most casual fans, they don't like pitching duels. They're just like, this is boring. Why aren't they hitting homers? Where's the excitement? Like they just want to see offense to casual fans. I don't know. I don't think it's moving the needle for baseball in a direction they want. Obviously, I think, you know, you want to get away from this outcome where every other ball is a home run, but I don't think, you know, nerfing offense to this point is how you do it. Yeah, and to emphasize that 236 again, like I said, that that's non-pitchers. That's just ridiculous. And so if you add pitchers in, it's even a lot lower. Um, well, so to put it, put it that in layman's terms, you're basically saying that, like, every guy that's getting paid to hit isn't yeah exactly <laughs> like how else do you break it out of that guys who are getting paid solely well i'm not saying solely for their ability but if they can't hit they're not going to play right you know defense doesn't necessarily guarantee you a contract so guys who are getting paid to hit the ball put the ball in play are hitting 236 let's just emphasize that point right there yeah and then if and the National League brings in DHs, then those numbers probably will go up. But that will be obviously next season. But yeah, man, it's just ridiculous how bad these ever-changing balls is getting for the game. All right, yeah, so and, um, we're going to move on to... And it, so, it doesn't even have to be like a, a home run every at-bat. Just putting the ball in play, hitting runs, stealing bags. Uh, just like the, the normal... I, would say, uh, I guess at one point it was normal. It doesn't seem so normal anymore, but... You know, the little things about the game that I think a lot of people like from an offensive perspective aren't really being shown, and especially now when you've guys hitting 236. I can't stress that enough. It's like for every one at or for every four at bats, you're getting on base one time. And so, yeah, today's article that came out from Ken Rosenthal from Via de Athletic, he pretty much said pitchers are throwing harder than ever with less command, which is a disturbing trend. I pretty much read his exact headline, but it really, it truly is. It's a disturbing trend because hitters are going to know exactly if they see somebody without command right now, they're going to be very scared in the box. Like if you see a guy like Chapman lose his command, we haven't seen it yet this season, but it can get very, very scary. Especially for a guy like John Carlos Stan. I can't remember exactly who it was who was pitching, but Mike this Fires. guy, John Carlos. Yeah, Mike Fires. Well, yeah, he got hit by Mike Fires, but then this past weekend or past last week, he almost got hit the face again by somebody else. I can't remember his name, but I don't think it was intentional or anything. But either way, like a guy that has already been through a very traumatic experience of getting hit in the face, that's just going to bring flashbacks of that kind of thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and like, I think, you know, kind of what we touched on earlier about what's being what's exciting for the game right now. I think guys throwing in the upper 90s and just punching tickets, some of the guys flirting with the 100s, that's exciting for the game of baseball, right? Like, Because a lot of, like you said, people don't, the casual fan doesn't watch for the strikeouts. But if that guy in the mound's throwing 102, 103 miles an hour, I'm watching for that strikeout because he's just going to go up there and embarrass some hitters. But, you know, if, if, if the guys that are throwing this hard don't know where it's going uh, for a chunk of those pitches, that's not okay either because, you know, there's the guys getting drilled by these guys probably don't care that – or probably aren't too excited by the fact it's over 100 miles an hour when they get hit, right? One of my uh, one of my picks for Rookie of the Year, Jonathan India, uh, his first big league season, he's already been drilled in the head twice, you know? Like, we that can't be going on. That's not safe for the game. It doesn't matter what kind of Evo shield you got going on or whatever kind of helmet you're wearing or, you know, you just – I don't think it's safe for guys to walk in the box and have a guy in the mound chucking 100 miles an hour that doesn't know where it's going. Yeah, dude. With with all these pitches moving all over, like with all these pitches, the increase in velocity, we've seen it for the past 
few years, you know, 94, 93 miles per hour, 94 miles per hour is not impressive any, anymore. And, you know, everybody wants to see it at 100 plus, but nobody wants to see an injury. And with the command being getting less and less, MLB has to do something to protect hitters. Now, is that letting them use some sort of different thing besides rosin? I don't know. They they need to find some. They need to figure something out with how to get pitchers with better command. Try to make sure they're protecting their hitters too, and yeah. possibly even use pine tar. I don't know exactly. And definitely, they just need to write. We talk about it. We we need. They need to find a right balance between. All right, what's going to help the pitcher, but also help the hitter? You know, whether it's like changing the ball, different size, and letting pitchers use some sort of substance to get a better grip. Because there has to be some sort of give and take. Because I'm sure hitters do not want to get hit by pitches because the pitchers don't know where it's going. So I'm sure the hitters wouldn't mind if the pitchers had some sort of little sticky element. But at the same time, if it's if you're still using that lighter ball, then the pitches are just going to get nastier. So they just well, need to find a right balance. It's going to take a lot of experimentation, something they could probably implement in the minor leagues before they do the major leagues. And I don't know, or like the Atlantic League, like they're doing with those other rules. Um, go ahead. Well, let, let me ask you this, right? Because this is a conversation we've had before in the show, and I just kind of want to bring it to light again because I think, you know, having these conversations and reading these articles have kind of maybe given me a different perspective on it. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about how uh, moving the mound back. And I, and I think, if I remember correctly, both of us are pretty dead against it. And, you know, fundamentally, I think I still am. But what if, if we're thinking about the long-term growth of baseball, right? The guys have only begun to throw harder. The balls feel like they're getting hit further. Like, guys are getting bigger and stronger as the generations go on. So, you know, the guys who are throwing 103, 102 right now, are their kids going to be throwing 105, 106? Like, you know, a generation from now, or is, is the game just going to look too different to where a 60-foot, 6-inch mound away from the home plate isn't sufficient for that game of the future? You know what I mean? So maybe with guys throwing harder and, you know, having less command, if we move that mound back, guys don't have to – I mean, they'll probably still focus on throwing hard, but it gives that uh, hitter at least a little bit more time to react. Not granted not much, but, I mean – I don't know. Does the game have to kind of evolve to that level to where the mound eventually just gets pushed back because guys are throwing harder? That's a really, really good question. And also you make a really you make a really great point in that I think you have me convinced, yeah, they probably will need to move the mound back with the how much velocity's been increased every year because like I said, they need players need more reaction time to these ever changing velocities and 60 feet, 6 inches, back in the, you know, 80s, 90s, you know, they're the high, the harder throwers are 94, 95-ish. And since baseball became a thing in 18, since 1876, you know, there was 60 feet, 6 inches. And, but velocities have been changing ever since then. So it's not the same as, same exact as it was beforehand. So yeah, MLB needs to probably bring the mound a little bit further back, just because the velocities back then are completely different to what is now. No, yeah, and like, really well, and, and like, not to say this can't swing the other way, because I mean, with the increase in velocity, we've also seen an increase in Tommy John, right? And like in injuries to pitchers, uh, whether it's their arms or just other elements, like we're seeing more injuries to pitchers. So, you know, to kind of, I guess, on the other side of that point, we keep the mound where it is, but maybe just an emphasis on velocity isn't as high as it is right now. Because right now, it's kind of, it's big and sexy, right? If you can throw 100 miles an hour, you're, there's a roster spot for you. But if maybe the trend starts shifting back that way, where it's like, okay, we want guys who are going to be consistent strike throwers, limit the walks, limit the hit by pitches. Uh, you know, when does that trend become sexy? And if it does, then do we even need to move the mountain back any further? If they can, if sort of the game can adjust to the field of play, it's going to be very tough to for hitters, honestly. Like no matter what, because like I said, we're probably going to keep seeing the increase in velocity, and it's just going to get tougher and tougher to hit the ball. Because the hardest thing in sports is hitting a round ball with a round bat. Oh, absolutely. I, you can argue it with any other sport, you know, but if I feel like a baseball player, you can put them in any other um, sport. They can, probably, they can probably dominate. Well, not dominate, but they can hold their own, you know? Well, picture this, right? And I, I'm not trying to compare apples to oranges here, but, like, if I'm throwing you a football, you can kind of get a good idea of the trajectory of, the, like, the ball coming to you as I throw it. 
right? You have plenty of time to react. You can put your hands up. You catch the ball yourself, right? With a baseball, or in the case of baseball, you're using a separate tool to make contact with a ball coming at you that's going to you know, slice and dice. And also, the guy who's throwing it, it's coming from the same arm, arm angle. So it looks the same without his hands, but it could break three feet to the left or, or you know, six feet down or any, like, you know, whatever the crazy numbers are. That like and you're, like I said, you're using a tool to try to find and make contact with the ball. So I, I just don't see there's anything. What what could be more difficult than that? Okay. Like on a consistent basis, like <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I never understood the argument, but yeah, no offense to Tim Tebow, but he struggled a lot <laughs> in hitting like baseball. No, oh, yeah. I mean, good for him. He made he was able to play in the minors, but. You know, that's the Mets, and the Mets probably have some sort of publicity in there. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not an easy game. It's not an easy yeah, game to see not, that. Yeah. yeah, and then shout-out to Tim Tebow for signing with the Jaguars to become their another tight end. So the future of Florida sports is looking bright. All right, we got Brady and the Bucks <laughs> down south, and we got uh, T-Law and T-Bow over in Saxonville. So I love it, love it. Yeah, and then you got Pitts too, and uh, Bucks, right? Oh no, he went to the Falcons. Oh yeah, Falcons, and then Trask went to the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah, Trask. Oh, I'd get even more excited, man. <laughs> All right, let's get back to baseball. All right, so I believe the day after we finished recording in our episode last week, very, very upsetting news. You know, we learned that Albert Pujols had been designated for assignment, and. It crushed me, man. When I read that article, when I read that article, I was like, "There's no way he's he can't go out this way. He's one of the greats. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He should be unanimous, but but for some reason, Hall of Fame voters don't do that. I don't know why. And it's just a huge blow to baseball because now that's pretty much the end of the 2000 domination players, the players that dominated in 2000s, and Miggy Cabrera. How much longer is he going to hold on, you know, with that contract? Because right now he's just dead weight for the Tigers. And I don't think he's pools, even hitting 100, right? I think it's about like 198 or something. But it just sucks to see this because he's actually the last person in backyard baseball 2005 that's currently considered active. What? And that's like the first baseball game I ever owned, and that's what got me into baseball. Ah. Yeah, man, it, it sucks. It sucks. And, like, you kind of talked about, like, yeah. the titans of our generation, right? The Miguel Cabrera's of the world. Uh, and, like, I mean, you know, I'm glad that, like, we've been able to, I guess, to appreciate and, and see these illustrious careers before us. Because I, I remember in, like, 2013, Miguel Cabrera won his, you know, I think it was his second MVP. Just, I mean, he was an unbelievable hitter. And at the time, it was like, okay, this guy is a great, and I think he's going to continue to be great into his 40s. And, like, just seeing the regression of a guy go from the peak of the game to where, you know, guys like Cabrera are now, um, and even someone like Pujols, right? I mean, like, God, in elementary school, there was, like, Albert Pujols and, like, everybody else. You know, he was just so in his own league. And, you know, he gets this big contract with the Angels, and it's like, all right, you know, he left St. Louis, but as a fan, although the numbers didn't say it, I was expecting kind of, you know, him to continue that production once he got to, uh, to Anaheim. And obviously, you know, things worked out the way they did. But still, I mean, he may lead the entire major leagues in, uh, in career double plays, hit into. But still, I mean, this is a guy who just, like you said, first ballot hofer and just someone that, like, just dominated baseball for a five, six-year span. Yeah, he was pretty much the Mike Trout from 20, 2001 to 2011. That's freaking 10 years right there and oh yeah like i still remember when the marlins were it looked like he was going to the marlins it was supposed to be like a 10-year 202 million contract with the marlins i believe and then the angels came out of nowhere signed pools to the 10-year 240 million contract and honestly at that time i honestly was like okay this can go either really really good or really really bad because he's going to a completely different league in a different ballpark which is not considered hit, hitter-friendly for sometimes, just depending on the weather and everything. And I liked it for the Angels, and I would have loved him on the Marlins, too, because, you know, he's Dominican. He's He would fit in He would fit in that type of environment with all the Latinos and Hispanics and whatnot. But 
when he went to the Angels, I'm like, okay, maybe Artie Moreno is probably going to actually invest in his team, and he's going to try to bring a championship back to Los Angeles of Anaheim. Well, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, I mean. But yeah, yeah, man, it's just really frustrating to see him go out like this because the owner never put in that money for pitching to allow the team to actually do well, you know? Yeah, and like whatever they did with guys like C.J. Wilson, just things didn't turn out the way they were expecting. So, I mean, just all in all, it's, it's, I don't think you can pin the, uh, the lack of success on Albert Pujols, although I think ownership and probably if you're an Angels fan who's like, who didn't get to see Albert Pujols in his prime, you probably look at him as like, God, here's this guy who just keeps eating up $30 million every year and eats up a roster spot. So, but like the, those are the folks who don't have the appreciation for a guy that, like, like I said, just dominated the league. I'm scared, I guess, what this does to Albert's legacy because it seems like this contract sort of set the precedent for like things you don't want to do as a GM, right? Signing a guy up to a 10-year contract after his age 30 season, you know, and it, and like we'll still see those big contracts with guys like Bryce Harper, uh, Tatis, even. Machado, like the young guys, I think will still get paid and will still, you know, get their long-term deals. But if you're a guy who's not in the upper echelon of baseball and you're approaching 30, you're probably nervous, wondering, okay, when is my last payday coming up? Because once you get in the rock side of 30, it's just it only seems to go downhill from there. Yeah, great, huge point on, great point on that. Because I don't think we're ever going to see anybody ever again get a 10-year deal after their turn 30. Or maybe even when they're 29 or or so, that's a really good point. With Pujols, he his he just became dead weight too. I, I hate to say that part, but he became dead weight too, and they never won a World Series. So this contract is just completely looks just complete garbage to the Angels. And but at the same time, like I said, ownership never invested in pitching. But yeah, dude, if this tenure, if this contract with with um, Tatis Jr this contract with Machado, Phillies, if they win World Series, that contract's justified already. Oh, yeah. yeah. They signed at a perfect time, whereas this one, this, he signed at 32 years old. That's, like, you probably paid for just first three years. You definitely paid for just first three years, four years, expecting to win a championship, but you just never invested in the pitching within those first four years. And you also invested in Josh Hamilton, who just ended up becoming dead weight as well. And you, CJ Wilson, Never really panned out, really got hurt. And I'm looking at these numbers, you know, with the Cardinals from 2001 to 2011, he had 445 home runs, batted 328, 2,073 hits. After he left St. Louis, if you would have told me that, I I honestly expected him to beat at least Babe Ruth's home run record. Well, he not record, but like you know, I would, I expect him to at least hit 715 home runs. I expect him that to. Pace. He's, yeah, he like he was on that pace to break his record. I mean, Babe Ruth, and possibly even break Barry Bonds if he kept on hitting like he was. 2,073 hits. You know, that's a 10-year span. <laughs> if he kept on that pace, obviously towards the end he probably wouldn't have been able to keep that pace up. But he definitely would have had at least 3,400 hits or so. So now he's going to finish his career because I don't see anybody signing him, bring him up or anything. Right now he's at 3,253 hits. Well, like, I mean, it sounds like just off that, like, that 10-year stretch you laid out with him for St. Louis, he could honestly probably have retired. And, I mean, does he go in the hall off of, the, of, the, off of those seasons alone? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're going to see that. <laughs> like, with you. Go ahead. Yeah, that's just why. Like, I hear in those numbers, I like, I don't know, I don't have them in front of me off the top of my head, but that sounds like in a ten-year span, he had a better career than Mark Teixeira did for however long Teixeira's career was, and I, I feel like that that was probably a, a fair comp because those are kind of like the two dominant first basemen of the, of that era. And so, yeah, that's crazy to hear. And like, yeah, man, and it was I, I can't I can't really fault the Angels for their moves because like. I mean, if you get prime Josh Hamilton, prime Albert Pujols, and an up-and-coming Mike Trout on your team, does it really matter what the pitching looks like? I mean, th- that offense is going to score some runs. Granted, obviously, they need bodies out there. They need guys logging in innings, you know, keeping it, keeping it close. But, I mean, if you get those three guys and they're prime, I think that this Angels team, you know, we see more of what the 2014 team looked like as opposed to what every other season with Albert Pujols looked like. Pitching's important. You know, offense doesn't win everything, as we, 
as Yankee fans, we we see that. Yeah, very. We need, true. We need like, our pitching. But that offense, though, I mean, like, because Josh Hamilton at one point was the best player in the American League. Oh yeah, and sure. So I mean, you put those guys on the same team and then throw up like, oh yeah, the best player of our generation after you guys retire being Mike Trout. Like, man, I could the, the potential was there for that team to be really special. Yeah. And then I'm looking at the numbers when he was with the Angels. Not pretty. 1,180 no. hits, 222 homers, 256 batting average. And yeah. he's going to finish his career with a batting average of, uh, let's see, 298. This guy should be should have had over 300 batting average. It's just really sad to see the way this is, this is the way he's going to be going out. And it looked like it ended up on a bad note with how Joe Madden told him, okay, you're still going to get playing time. You're going to start this week. And then ownership pretty much said, no, you're not going to start anymore. You know, this is what we're going to end up doing. And you just saw one of the greats go. He didn't even talk to the media or anything. And he hasn't posted anything on social media or anything like that. And it's just really sad to see this type of thing happen to one of your childhood generation players, you know? Yeah. Sooner than later, there's going to be a time in the league where there's not any players from the 2010s in baseball. You know, and so, like, what do you think that's going to be like when it's like, all right, there's no reminiscence of any players that we grew up watching still in the game today? Honestly, for me, I think, let's see, right now we only have Max Scherzer, we got Miggy. Childhood wise, we got Miggy, Max Scherzer, Joey Botto. Yachty, but those guys are towards the end of the. Scherzer is still dominating, but the others are towards the end of their careers. So yeah, we're about to see the end of pretty much this generation, childhood, and everything. Yeah, it's wild man, getting old. Right. Yeah. All right, so now we're gonna move on to the weekend recap. Actually, first we want to do a shout out to Todd Frazier, who's probably end up getting retired. Who's probably end up retiring. You know, he's finished with a great career, great human being. And he, yeah, he got this in the first time from the Pirates, and I don't see anybody picking him up really, unless it's for, this is going to sound bad, but cheerleading role, you know, because he did such an amazing job with that 2017 Yankees. He started that whole thumbs down movement, and Yankees just took off after Todd Frazier. They got him that trade with um, David Robertson and Tom McCain Lee. But yeah, Todd Frazier, shout out to you, Tom's River, New Jersey. The Todd Father. There's a picture of you with, well, Todd Frazier with Todd Father with Derek Cheater in Little League World Series. So, yeah, shout out to Todd Frazier. And then today we got the news that Jordan Zimmerman, one of the great pitchers from when he was with the Nationals, and he was a hot commodity on the free agent market. And then he signed with the Tigers, and that contract never, he never lived up to that contract. But he was one of the best pitchers in baseball for a good amount. And so he's going to retire at the age of 34, which is absolutely ridiculous. I honestly thought he was older than that, but man. Yeah, me too, actually. The downhill yeah, no, spiral. It was like, I remember for a good couple of years, it, before Scherzer got there, it was like Strasburg was the one and Zimmerman's the 1A. Just like how good he was. And I don't know, like, like you said, when he was on the market, it was like, I was begging. I was like, do the Yankees need this guy? He's the perfect guy for him. You know, he's a, he's a stud out there on the mound. And, I, and like hindsight 2020, I guess I'm, I'm glad they didn't get him. But, I mean, that the contract he got, I don't think he got overpaid at the time. I think it was probably about what market it would set for him. But to see how his career kind of just quickly fell off a cliff just kind of sucks. When it comes to Todd Frazier, obviously the impact he, I think he had on the game will go a lot further than the, than the back of the baseball card would suggest. Uh, I think the biggest moment for him comes in that when they had the all-star game in Cincinnati and he goes out there, hometown kid, wins the home run derby. So, yeah. Yeah, that. yeah dude, he was a big ambassador for the game of baseball. And so, tip of the cap to Tyler, tip of the cap to Zimmerman. Uh, you guys are, will definitely be missed. Yeah, I'm looking at Zimmerman's numbers from 2009 to 2015. 3.32 RA. So, I just think going from the National League to the American League is pretty much what probably ruined him for the most part. His career, he wasn't, since he pitched it to contact, you know, the American League has a lot more power. You're not facing the pitchers any, anymore. So, yeah, that he signed to a five-year, $105 million contract, five-year, $110 million contract, which I agree with you. At the time, it looked right on the market. And then now, looking back, it's like, 
Why? <laughs> like a hundred or hundred ten right. million dollars, you literally just burned. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Now we can go into the weekend recap. Crazy weekend across baseball. You know, the Giants took two out of three from the Padres, which I did not expect. You know, I felt that the, since the Giants were finally facing a major league team. No offense to the teams who they were facing before, but now they're facing like a very hard team in the in the Padres. They take two out of three. Kevin Gosman has a great game in his return from the IL. Pool, uh, not pools. Posey is coming. Is still keeping his his hot streak going, and you know. And then we saw the Yankees somehow win some of these games here against the Nationals. It's kind of funny they had a three game series against the Nationals and Scherzer pitched one of the games, you would expect them to lose that game. But no, they won. <laughs> uh, and not to mention, he also had uh, 14 punch-outs in that game, most ever by a visiting Yankee pitcher. So not get the W on that game. Hate to see that for them. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then we also got a really nice series in the Mets and Giants where we saw some... Not the Mets and Giants. Why am I keep saying Giants? The Mets and Diamondbacks where we saw Lin, a little bit of tempers rise between Lindor and Jeff, Mc, Jeff McNeil, I think is his name hey, is. Hey, it was a raccoon, all right? It was a raccoon. <laughs> yeah, a raccoon gave him gave him a black eye in between innings. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but that's probably, that series was probably good for the Mets, you know, because, you know, show some spark, they show some fight, and they end up winning. I believe they took the series, they, the, they won the series, I know that for a fact. I can't remember exactly if they swept or not. But yeah, you know, you saw Lindor hit that game time home run, and then the following game, Jeff McNeil hit a two-run home run. So, and seems like they're on roll right now. Unfortunately, they did lose DeGrom to the 10-day IL yesterday. But it looks like he'll be back pretty pretty quickly, you know, with the right side soreness, tightness. And, gu- and guess what? They actually won a game with Jacob DeGrom pitching. What? They actually scored runs. Yeah, they scored runs. Wait, no, no, no. Not, not the Mets, right? You're talking about, like, a, a different Mets team. No, I'm talking about the Metropolitans. What? You, okay. <laughs> Hold on a sec. I need to sit down for this one. You mean to tell me <laughs> that those Metropolitans won a ball game in which De- Jacob DeGrom was on the mound? Like, he was pitching, right? Yeah. Wow. Jeez, man. You know, if I didn't have a picture of it in front of me, I don't know if i believe you, but wow. That's a shocker right there. Yeah, the best part is you actually only went five innings. What? <laughs> you know, and the bullpen actually held the lead. Oh, okay. Now you just—I know you're just lying to me now. <laughs> yeah. Nah. Some other. I'm glad to see. Uh, I'm glad to see Frankie Lindor starting to pick it up a little bit. I think the majority of baseball fans probably assumed he would, you know, kind of return to form a little bit. And so hopefully this is just the start of a of a good season for him. Although, uh, you know, because like we said last couple episodes, the, the Mets have the pitching to go out there and just win as many ball games as they want. It's just that offense that needs to step it up and, you know, and, you know, get the big runs across. So I'm glad to see they're starting to sort of put it together. Yeah, honestly, like Taiwan Walker, that contract that he signed, I originally was like, why did the Mets do this? What are they doing? Panned out pretty well. Same thing Strowman. I'm like, all right, Metsies, I see you, I see you. But then their offense is not holding up to the, not holding up whatsoever. But yeah, it's great for Lind- to see Lindor coming out of his, coming out of his slump. And the Mets needed that, ownership needed that, he needed that, and you know, hopefully this gets the Mets on a winning streak, and because it's good for baseball. Oh, yeah. And the, you know, the, the NL East well. is still up for grabs. Yeah, when the yeah when the door is doing well, it's great for baseball because oh, yeah. he's all over the highlights and he's got an amazing smile. You know, you want to see his personality on the field. You want to see him being extremely happy and everything. He didn't look happy after that home run he hit because. The Jeff McNeil situation, but since then he looks like a pretty happy fellow. <laughs> like I was gonna say, um, the National League East is up for grabs. Crazy weekend between the Braves and the Phillies. You know, the Braves, the Phillies went out there on Friday, put up a twelve to two spot against the against the no, the Phillies put up a twelve to two spot against the Braves, and it looked like it was not going to end well for the Braves in this this series because then on Saturday, I went to the game. Absolutely ridiculous. Like, man, after Friday night, I was like, oh, man, hopefully the Braves don't do bad today because I want to see a good game, you know. And then the ninth inning came. I was like, okay, three to one. My sister was like, why are we staying here? I'm like, 
it's only a two run ball game. <laughs> you can feel it in the air. You always and then the Panthers. <laughs> I did not feel it. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. I was like, I was like, you know, the Braves did not look good whatsoever. Really? And then you have Acuna who got hit by the pitch. Yeah, they didn't look. They didn't look like they were gonna put up a fight whatsoever. But you know, with the, I knew with the Phillies bullpen, anything can go. You know, the Phillies yeah, bullpen. Yeah. Entire National League East, their bullpens have just been. Besides the um, the Mets, their bullpens have just been absolutely disgusting. Like I knew for a fact that three to one game's probably not over. You know, they'll probably make it a little bit interesting. But yeah, so then they got very interesting. So the first runner gets on, the second runner gets on. I can't remember exactly who got on before the panda came into pinch it. He hits an absolute rocket into the bullpen right field. You know, everybody was chanting panda, panda, panda. Like my, I was getting chill. I'm getting chills right now. You know, if you would have, if you would have said five years ago that the panda, I would see a panda hitting game time to run homer in the ninth inning, I'd been like, he's gonna be retired by then. He's not any good. So the fact that he went up there and hit a two-run homer to tie the game in the ninth inning was just absolutely ridiculous. The crowd went crazy. Like I have never heard a stadium so loud. Well, and think and about I've this. Been, man. Actually, this... the 2008. Wait, go ahead. I I went to the 2008 National American League ALCS game too between the Rays and the Red Sox. That's probably been loud, the only place that I've ever heard a stadium be so loud. But this is probably the second loudest time I've ever heard a stadium. Okay, let me take that part back. Probably the third loudest stadium because when Jose Fernandez came back to pitch against the Giants, I was at that game and that was extremely loud too. Okay, what were you gonna say? Whoops. But I was gonna say, I mean, just you talked about like imagine like seeing Panda hitting a you know game tying home run in 2021, and not only did he hit a game tying home run in 2021, this is his what fourth game tying yeah, home run of the year. Like, oh my god, dude. I feel like the Braves have gotten more value out of Sandoval in this just this season alone than the Red Sox did in like three or four seasons with them. You know? That uh, that. <laughs> so like that's ugh, that's wild. I'm glad to see he still got some love, especially in Atlanta. They seem to be a pretty passionate fan base, so I'm glad to see that. Yeah, when I saw that ball go into the air, I was just yelling, No way, no way, and then it landed and then just the entire crowd was just electric. Jeez. You know, and I just loved, and then I went back and looked at the highlights, and then I just loved the panda's reaction. You know, he actually looked like an actual panda <laughs> with the expressions <laughs> in his face and everything. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I was like, I love this man. You know, with the Giants, I loved watching him. And then when he went to the Red Sox, I was like, oh, I hate you so much. And then <laughs> he'd start doing that. <laughs> but yeah, it's great that he's pretty much back. And then the 10th inning went completely fine. 11th inning, complete mess of an inning. You know, the Braves should have lost in the 11th inning. But then we saw that Alec Baum, I think that's his name. How do you pronounce his name? He was from the he went from third base to first base to take over for Brad Miller, I believe it was. And the error that the pitcher threw, a good first base a, a, an experienced baseman would have caught that ball. Because you know when you're at first base, you're just taught just straddled the bag and then you and then you move your feet to where the throw is going to go. If Alec he had his feet ready to go to the left side of the bag but then the throw ended up going to the right side of the bag. So he wasn't prepared to stretch out to the right side of the bag. And that's why the ball got away from him. If you look at the replay, you can clearly tell that, yes, it was a bad throw, but an experienced first baseman should have caught that. We saw that with Jay Bruce with the Yankees, where there was an error, but an experienced first baseman would have caught that. Like Mark Teixeira would have caught that because he would know to just go towards the throw with his foot, whereas they were getting ready before the throw was even done. So yeah, the Phillies defense was completely completely horrible. Same thing with the Braves. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was an amazing game to be at, but definitely not the greatest baseball game if you're trying to learn exactly the sport of the like, fundamentals of the game. Yeah, definitely not something where you showed. Definitely not a game where you you put on tape and tell your play tell your uh, what's up the little leaguers. This is how you don't play the game. <laughs> now you know what else it's like we talked a little bit before before the show what else won't you learn from the fundamentals of attending a baseball game from your experience saturday night all right so saturday night i had the most annoying teenagers ever sitting behind me so 
here's a rule. One, if you're a fan of baseball, and I mean like an actual fan, like if you've played baseball, you should know the rules of baseball. I understand if you're trying to learn the rules, like you're asking questions to the person next to you. But if you're not actually, but if you're not asking those questions and you're saying it in like a true statement fashion, then just say it once. Don't keep repeating it. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I hate this kid kept on yelling chop house, chop house. For those of you that don't know the stadium right off the bat, the chop house is pretty much in the right field stands. It's like in the bleachers. So if you hit the ball towards the chop house, it's a home run. Every single hitter, this kid would say chop house, calling it chop house, calling it. I'm like, stop, just stop, just shut up. And then there's, and then whenever there's somebody would hit, he kept on saying, oh, what if this guy hits a nuke? What if this guy hits a nuke? What if this guy hits a nuke? I was like, shut up, dude. Like, sh- shut up. And then he kept on kicking my seat. Oh. He kept on, like, he kept on putting my, his foot on, on my seat, and he kept on shaking his leg. You know, you know that, like, how people shake their leg, just, on, like, they don't even notice. It's, like, sort of unconscious. So that's what this kid was doing. So I told him, I was like, hey, get your feet off my chair. And then he was like, oh, okay, my bad. I was, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. But he kept on doing it. And then these these kids, it was like a group of teenagers, not just this one kid. They kept on saying, like, they kept on asking, why is the panda not hitting here? And in my head, I was like, this kid, this panda, the panda already hit. Do you not know what a pinch hitter is? You, you play baseball, because I can clearly hear you talking that, about who has better arm between the four of you, like your Little League turn, tournament. That's how loud these kids were. Like, I could not block them out of my head. Like, I could not just black them out. And so, like, they, was, they were saying, why is the panda hitting here? Why can't he hit here? I'm like, he already batted. Do you not know what a pinch hitter is? And they also didn't know what a double switch was. Where, For those that don't know, a double switch is pretty much where you put in uh, somebody to play a position. Normally, they do double the double switch with the left person that made the last out in the in the inning. But then the, per, the pitcher would take that person's batting spot. And then the player that you bring in, defensively-wise or offensively-wise, would take the nine hole from the pitcher pretty much so that's pretty much double switches that way you don't have to waste another pitcher when you get down to the nine hole so you pretty much looks like say seven eight nine you have that new player playing batting ninth and then you have the pitcher batting sixth that way you don't burn an arm pretty much so yeah that's what double switches these kids have no idea what double switches and then there was a play i can't remember exactly who what happened but there was a phillies player that had catches by that had catches interference so if catches interference if you hit if you swing the bat and the catcher has your glove close enough to where the bat can hit it it's considered an error and the hitter gets first base and these kids kept on saying like what happened what happened what happened i'm like okay think of the scenarios in your head about how this kid this guy can go on first base in little league actually i'm not sure if little league has catchers interference i don't know do you know I remember it happened to me in like rec ball a couple of years, but I don't remember what years those were. That was like middle school or something, but like, I would assume, I would assume it's like probably like a warning the first time. Yeah, probably. But yeah, anyway, so I was like, like I tried to say pretty loudly to like make sure they can hear me. But I just told my dad, I was like, oh, he had catcher's interference. You know, he's going to first base. He hit the, because you can, cl- you can clearly see that it said E2 which means error on the catcher, which means the catcher's interference. I kept on saying, I said that at least two or three times. Like I said it to my dad, said it to my mom, said it to my sister, hoping those kids would hear me, but they kept on arguing. I'm like, I was like, God dang it. Like, don't you understand the game? I'm not here to sit like and sit on my high horse and back because I understand the game of baseball. I'm talking down about others. But it's like, listen. If you're in a ball game, understand that there are other folks around you who are also there attending that ball game. And, you know, for a lot of folks, they're kind of planning these trips out in advance to get down to the ballpark. So when they get there, it's just as much an experience for them as it is for you, right? So to try to, I guess, be considerate of other people attending those ball games, there's a, there's, there's a baseball etiquette that comes to attending a ball game. One being don't yell so loud that the person in front of you can hear you. Don't kick at people in the back of the chair. Definitely a big no-go. Airplanes, bus trips baseball stadiums all right don't do it also i will say this is like a little bit different than yours but this is like my little experience i've had 
if ever I get seats in like the outfield or I just get good seats near the wall, you know, those seats come at a premium, right? And so there's been times where you get to ball games, like people try to just like they'll hang out there for batting practice and then try to just kind of casually sit in your seats and you kind of have to walk up and have this whole like, oh yeah, yeah, I think we're actually five, four, three, two. Oh yeah, yeah, these are our seats right here. Uh, why are you guys sitting? You know, just stuff like that. Understand that like there's a you there's other people at ball games there's other people who are trying to enjoy this ball game you know uh it's like if you ever sit in the outfield towards the front row every half inning expect every kid from that section to be running up to the fence trying to get like a toss-up from the outfielder just it's it's a it's a factual thing it goes down every ball game you go to if you sit in the outfield, just expect that but you know what i'm not here because not enjoy the game i think everyone should have a great time when they go to a game I just ask that folks, the listeners of this podcast, just try to be a little bit more considerate whenever you go to a ball game. Yeah, don't be a jerk. Be a jerk, plain and simple. <laughs> and yeah, and um, to add on to that, also, when you need to get up, t- like time it perfectly. Because yeah, mound visits, perfect time to go. You know, if a pitcher is taking forever to throw, then I guess it would be fine if going between pitches. But just please, in the middle of the at-bat, do not, I repeat, do not get up. Because then you make that entire row get up, and then you have a bunch of people that can't see the, the flat of the ball. And you can't see the game whatsoever. So you got to be considerate of others. You know, just at the Rangers game one time back in 20, when I went in 2012, I believe, it was at, at that time it was Rangers Ballpark in Arlington. They actually had ushers make you wait until you, until... Like there was like a break in the in the game to where you can actually go down and like go find your seat and everything, which is awesome. I like that. And I would just love if fans could just police themselves in terms of trying to be considerate of others, where they can just walk down whenever there's in between the bats, and if it's quick enough in between pitches. But yeah, man, that's probably my biggest pet peeve right there is that part is to, to whenever that, you're enough to go somewhere. Oh wait, go ahead. Would say also if you're gonna go and if you're gonna get up during mid pitch, you gotta commit. All right, we can't have any half walking around, stopping in the middle of the stairway just to catch the pitch. I get you want to see it while you're walking to the bathroom, but you know what? I also want to see it from my seat. So all I do is I ask you to commit to it. Just get it done. Go. And don't block the view for me. That's all I ask. With baseball etiquette, once again, don't be a jerk. Don't get up in between. If you're going to commit to getting up, do it very quickly and do it when it's convenient to do so and you're not intruding others. Sit in your seat that you're assigned to, or if you are hanging out and somebody else has those seats, then respectfully just leave. Go somewhere else. Don't put up a fight saying, oh, I just, I'm just i here for batting practice. And yeah, just leave. They're not your seats. And yeah, that's proper baseball etiquette. All right. Oh, yeah. Anything else to add? Or do you think we're good? I had baseball rants of games I've been to before off my chest. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm good to go. All right. Sounds good. All right. So, that's been episode nine of the Inside Here podcast. Thank you for listening. And it's whether it's good night, good morning, good afternoon, and good night. All right. So, as soon as we finish recording, Jeff Passan drops a major news bomb straight out of Oakland. The Oakland Athletics might be looking to relocate if they can't get a new stadium approved from the local public. And we're going to be discussing this on the next episode of the Inside Hater Podcast.